Radio Carnival presents The Archies. Take care of the kissing booth while we're singing, Sabrina. Okay, everybody. Here we go with our new hit record. Sugar, sugar. I am Chris Maverick, and I am here once again after a week off with Wayne Wise. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Mav. Happy to be back. So as I said on last week's show, you were too cool to hang out with us last week. You were doing cool kid stuff and at a, at a bar with naughty drinking and, and music and stuff. <laughs> it was music. It was a concert. It wasn't really a bar. It was downstage AE, which is a, a larger venue. But yeah, I, I went out to see a, see a band, which I've done a lot of in the last 45 years or so. And that should lead us into what we were talking about today, which is we're talking about music. Yeah, which is another piece of pop culture. We have a whole bunch of people with us tonight. I I just I I have this idea. I know for myself and we talk a lot about comics and comics and sort of my life and my hobby and my job and all these other things. But the other hobby I've always had that for reasons I'll probably get into later in the show is sort of inextricably linked with comics and pop culture with me is music. I've always been a music fan from a kid, you know, listening to the radio and, and buying 45s for you young. What's a, radio, what's a radio, Grandpa Wayne? Yeah, I know. And then 45, which is, you know, a, a it's like pressed out of vinyl and it has two songs on it. Ooh. And you had to buy them in, in a store and take them home. But it's been a huge part of my life. It's been a big part of my identity. And just as I get older, that continues to be true. And I keep finding new music and listening to old music and there's nostalgia involved with the old music and there's a certain amount of nostalgia involved with the new music that I find that I like. I'm just kind of fascinated by how this impacts our lives, how people identify with music, how that changes over the course of your life, the industry around music, how it's produced, how it's disseminated has changed dramatically in the last 50 years or so. So I think that has changed the way people interact with music. I mean, obviously the internet and downloads, et cetera, has changed that. I, I just... I find all those things fascinating. I grew up, you know, I was a small child in the 60s, teenager in the 70s, college and grad school in the 80s. So I kind of grew up with the music industry. And it was such a huge part of everybody's identity then. It was, it was a part of life for, for teenagers at the time. I get the sense that that has changed somewhat. And I could just be an old guy who's completely out of touch. And, and I'm completely wrong about that. But I think there are changes in the way the world interacts with music. And that's kind of what I want to explore tonight with the 47 other people <laughs> we have on the show. Well, yeah, 47 or, you know, four extra. It's, you know, I can't really count. It's... 
math is hard. Yeah, I was an English I, major like over and over yes. again. So. <laughs> so we have several guests today. And well, I, I guess I'll go in order because the first one is like sitting right across from me and I will not be making fun of my wife on today's show because huh. she is here in the room. So um, this is Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. So I always say, you know, where I know people from and I know Stephanie from being my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of knew each other before that too. No, no, it was arranged yeah, I, marriage. I, I, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> That's kind of how I know you as well, though it was before you were married. Yes. Yeah, that's how I know you. <laughs> but I've Steph always been. Steph likes music, I and I do like music. And she, she, I sing all the time. I yeah. apologize. Yeah, she. <laughs> um, we may have you do that before the show's over. Yeah, and she plays. I will not turn that down. Well, you play you, you play <laughs> piano, which is a musical instrument. Yes. Okay. And she also plays flute, which is not. <laughs> Okay, I don't play it anymore. <laughs> I always like the teaser that the flute isn't yes. a real instrument. This is a very, like, this takes up a lot of time in our relationship. <laughs> our other guests, or one of them is Amy, who has not quite been on the show, but Amy's, your daughter's been on the show. So, yeah. yes, that's correct. So, so the first parent child guest that you've had. Right. The mother and child reunion. <laughs> that would be my first reference, music reference tonight. Ooh. <laughs> Amy, how do I know you? I know you from college. Yes. And as I believe you told the listeners, when my daughter was on, we used to get drunk at parties together. Yes, very drunk. Which <laughs> and I spent that entire show basically trying to embarrass both the teenage girls that were on by talking about how often I party with their mothers. So that's Amy. And Amy, you are also a music fan. Yes. Also a former flute player. Oh, yay. <laughs> so another person who plays an instrument in the band that I'm not convinced makes any sound. I played trumpet in high school band. So <laughs> yes, we hated the trumpets. Yes, we did. Well, that's because it's a real instrument that makes sounds and, and people they were very arrogant. Uh, no, <laughs> it's just science. <laughs> and our, have to blow quite as hard. Ooh, that was that that, that just sounded sweat. mean. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Sorry, retract that. And our final guest is Maximilian of Thought Form Music, who gets mentioned every show. Hey, every Max. episode. Hey, Max. Howdy. Thanks for coming on in spite of all the abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Max, I, I, I think it's fair to say you're a music fan. You wrote the very epic theme song that starts and ends this show. Yes, I did. Yeah. That was yeah. fun. It's not all that long, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually... And I, I don't know if your listeners understand that, that the composer is not actually responsible for how long you play the song at the beginning of each show. The, the, entire, the entire track's only like four minutes, which is, yeah. which is 174 <laughs> minutes shorter than any other song Max has ever written. <laughs> Pretty much. And, well, Max, you, you, you write and you compose. Why what instruments do you play? I know I've seen you play keyboard. Uh, are you um, multi-instrumentalist? That's an interesting question. Um, I play keyboards, guitars. Today, my main thing is a instrument, which I would have to explain. Okay. It's a newfangled, <laughs> futuristic MIDI controller. That's it's totally that awesome. Spock played on Star Trek. Kind it? of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. And and I guess since yeah, everybody's talking about that, I have I am not a musician. I mess around with guitar. I sort of played bass in a band that didn't do anything or go anywhere with some friends in the 90s. Uh, I can pick out a melody on a keyboard if I if you give me a little bit of time. So there is some vague element of being musical, but not enough to consider myself a musician at all. So, but more so than a flute player. 
I will. Just going to ruin the whole show. Um, they're going for the rest of my life. But <laughs> what, what, what was that about trumpet players blame being blowhards? What? Thank you. So, so Wayne, what's the topic for today? Um, music, music of our youth, stuff that that got you into music. What makes you a fan? Why are you still a fan? What do you look for? Uh, how, what kind of impact does this have on your life? I guess also just how the industry has changed. How how the way we consume music has changed for our, ourselves, you know, how we think that's changed with younger generations. And just, yeah, all of it. Psychologically, what does movie music do to us, for us? Steph, I should point out, is a psychologist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Not yeah. that kind of psychologist, though. Yeah. yeah well, always have to yeah. see. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what I say. You're always going to say, I'm not that kind of psychologist. Well, <laughs> She's I like a- pressure. So, okay, I, I, I guess maybe starting out, what does everybody listen to? You know, I mean, we're talking about music. I, you know, for myself, I say I listen to a wide variety of things. That said, there's a tremendous dearth Country of, and Western. Yeah, there's a tremendous dearth of opera or a lot of classical music in my listening mm-hmm. habits. You know, I, I said, you know, I was a child of, of the 60s and 70s, so I have a fondness for, for a lot of the classic rock stuff. Uh, I grew up as a child, country radio was on in my house all the time. Uh, my dad played in a country band oh, wow. that actually played at the, the Wheeling Jamboree a couple of times. My grandmother played piano. Uh, he had a cousin who was one of those people who probably couldn't sign his name, but could play any instrument you handed him. So I, I grew up with you know, old classic country music. I, child of the 70s, listened to all the classic rock stuff. Spent a lot of time in the 80s listening to punk and college rock and indie rock and alternative rock and all that stuff. And I still really spend a lot of time listening to new things and, and trying to find new things I like and experimenting with different styles and and that sort of thing. So so, Matt, what did you you listen to you know, when you were a kid? What do you listen to now? How has well, that changed? And that's that's always hard. So I made the comment on the blog. And ever since I said it, I've been trying to Google and remember what comedian said it originally. And I didn't find it. But somebody made the joke that whatever music you're listening to when you're 14, that's the soundtrack of your life. It's just what you're going to be listening to for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And you might pick up other bands. But like the greatest music is just whatever you were listening to when you sort of became musically aware of that. This is actually part, you know, something that changed your soul when you're 14 years old. So for me, a lot of that was hip hop before I was that age. You know, I was a child of the seventies and eighties. So my mom was a big, is a big disco fan or was a big disco fan and more, more so than disco, the only music worthy of being called music, I'm talking about the funk. So so I grew up listening to a lot of Parliament Funkadelic, a lot of Cameo, um, Houdini, uh, early hip hop, the Sugar Hill Gang. And then when I when I'm a teenager, I start listening to when I was 14, I was lucky enough to be 14 when Public Enemy hit it big with Nation of Millions to hold us back, which and they remain one of my favorite bands to this day. Also, there's, you know, there's a lot of R&B in there. Um, I'm a huge, huge Prince fan. I'm a huge P-Funk fan. I've, I've seen P-Funk in concert, I think, seven times, eight times. Believe it or not, I've seen P-Funk in concert. <laughs> I have danced on stage at P-Funk, with P-Funk, which is rare for someone who's not a yeah. cute girl. Um, but the, but I, I went to a show at a local, uh, well, a former local place that's not there anymore. Um, the Upstage. Mm-hmm. I went yeah. to a show at the Upstage, which was a Pittsburgh joint, and P Funk was there, and I was dressed as Sir Knows Devoid of Funk, so they actually invited me up on stage for a couple nice. of songs. So, That's great. So, I, so 
I'm a huge funk fan, but also I, I just like sometimes I get in a mood where I'm just going to listen to disco for a while. Sometimes I want to listen to jazz for a while. Um, uh, sometimes I listen to classical music. Sometimes I listen to country western. I love mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I love Willie Nelson and I love Kenny yeah. Rogers. All right. Steph. Hey, um, well, when, while Mav was talking, I had a chance to kind of think about a common theme, a common thread of what binds all my musical taste together. And I guess I've, with the exception of country, sorry, country, I pretty much like every genre of music. So Western. Okay. I, I don't like Western either. <laughs> Sad, I'm, sorry. I'm, so if you're not a Blues Brothers fan, then you don't get this joke. I'm just it, going I to make it. over and over again throughout the rest of the show. So. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was thinking um, I like music that basically like relaxes me and calms me because I think I have kind of like a bit of a hyper nervous system. <laughs> and so it's really like it doesn't matter what genre of music. And I think that's probably why I don't listen to much like like heavy metal or hip hop. But I do like a lot of um like I like a lot of 90s kind of alternative music and even like music like Killers from today and Tori Amos. And OK, I'll, I'll admit it. I like Barry Manilow because his voice is like butter. Um, so I, I think that's really the common thread. I like classical music, too. I, like Mav said, I grew up playing the piano and I really kind of was drawn to things like Moonlight Sonata and um, box kind of slower pieces and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I think I, I use music really for a psychological purpose. <laughs> like when I'm at work yeah. and I'm stressed out, then I'll put on something and it has it's usually a very specific song that I need to listen to to kind of get me sort of relaxed and back into like work mode or whatever. So, yeah. That's me. Uh, Max, I'm just going down the list as I can see here in front of me. Max. Okay. Um, I like stuff that is dark, <laughs> sad, sometimes angry. <laughs> I love stuff. I love that stuff just spent like five minutes talking about how uplifting and how powerful music is. And Max is like, I like dark, yeah, angry. That's <laughs> emotional too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I went with the emotion because, uh, like I don't, I listen to too many genres for me to remember right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm into, I, I, I find it interesting. So the comedian, whoever it was, who says the soundtrack when you're 14 or the music when you're 14 is the rest of your life soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I don't really buy that. It's not the case. I would buy it a little more if it was the music you listened to when you were 20, because that stuff is like made a firmer connection with me. And I think it has, that has a lot to do with like what, um, maybe I'm getting ahead of us, but like what the music you're listening to when you're in a particularly receptive emotional state, which often happens for people when they're 14, but mm-hmm. not only. I, um, I, I have a couple of online articles that I'm going to come back to talking about that not a comedian, but talking about kind of that time period and, and the stuff you're talking about. Yeah. But I'll, um, I'll just run through quickly some things that I like. I like, um, nine inch nails. I like some progressive rock. I've recently been getting back into Genesis, which was one of my twenties bands in early Genesis with Peter Gabriel and being cool. Um, I, I like a bit of metal. I like it when prog and metal overlap and I am an electronic musician, so there's a lot of electronic stuff that I'm really into. Um, I should just mention Tangerine Dream because 
they popped into my head. And I like Viking music. Hi, <laughs> Amy. Um, so while you've all been talking, I've kind of been thinking like just kind of like going through the presets of my car radio. <laughs> what I mostly tend to listen to. Um, and it's, it's a lot of rock and pop and like, you know, serious eighties and hair nation. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't listening to, to rap in 1988. I was listening to Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Okay. Um, and then there's, kind of music that I listen to because my kids are in the car and they won't let me play what I want to listen to. They want to control the radio when I'm driving kids. <laughs> kids. Yeah. So, you know, there's also a lot of like Taylor Swift and, um, um, various one direction band members. I can't <laughs> keep them all straight. Zane direction. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I found, an article on psychology today. Actually, I found several articles about this, but there's a, a book called This Is Your Brain on Music, The Science of a Human Obsession by Daniel Levitin. And he, he did some studies on this kind of thing. And he says, essentially, that between the ages of 12 and 22, our, our brains undergo rapid neurological development. And the music we love during that decade seems to get wired into our lobes for good. So we make those neural connections um, and create memories around them. That's when we're experiencing a lot of this stuff for the first time. So it stays with you. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even though, you know, let's say I, I've gone on and like that's when we're all forming our identity and, and music as a cultural thing. You don't just listen to punk music. You become a punk rocker. You don't just become a fan of heavy metal. You're, you're a metalhead. You know, it's, there's that very strong identification with the subculture built around these musical styles. It becomes very tribal. And I think you know, so much of that is what's happening when you're in that 12 to 22 age range anyway. That's absolutely that's true. Like and hip hop fans and, and headbangers yeah. for, for metal. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, I think that's part of, of how we, we process that and why that stuff does stick. I mean, I, I know for myself, as much as I've experimented and listened to other types of things. Okay. I, th this is, this is my, my confession. This is actually something I'm, I'm kind of proud of. Of. A few years ago, there was a book. I guess the first volume of it came out in 2004. It's been updated since then. And the book is The Thousand and One Albums You Need to Hear Before You Die. And it's a, a list starting with Frank Sinatra in like 1955 and coming up to, at that time, 2004 of these are the albums you need to listen to before you die. And it was cross genre. It was all over the place. Um, through my own collection and Spotify and the library, I listened to 987 of those albums. <laughs> so are you... <laughs> In order, in order, chronologically, over the course of two years of my so life. So it's just like a thing where you get to like album like did, did 1000, you're like, fuck, I cannot listen to Iggy Pop. <laughs> then I will die. <laughs> and it, it was it was a fascinating experience for me because I, I, I just I love music. I love pop music. Hearing how the world changed with that, hearing that growth, hearing it in order. You, you heard the trends, you heard the changes happen over the course of albums. Like, you know, I, I heard you know, Sugar Hill Gang. And then over the course of the next 200 albums, I got up to, you know, Dre and, and, and all those guys and, and hearing that those influences come in slowly a little bit at a time and how that changed. So I, and you know, I listened to you know, like Kraftwerk and Can these, these German, you know, industrial bands, industrial is not the right word, but you know, just very different things than I typically listen to and hearing how all that fit together in the larger context of pop music was really just a fascinating experiment for me. But you know, like I, I still, 
I'm also very aware of just how the nostalgia for those things from my teens play a part in what I listen to now. I, in the last couple of years, it's been a good couple of years for me for finding that new band I really like. And that, that's, that's something that's happened over the course of my entire life before I just, I get obsessed with a band or two for a period of time and, and listen to everything they do and go see them in concert and, and, and hang up pictures on my bedroom wall from Tiger Beat magazine and you know, that sort of thing. Um, uh, and I still yeah, subscribe to Tiger Beat now. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, this this goes back to that. You and I being 16 year old girls, I, you know, there's that part of me that still has those tendencies when I interact with this stuff you know, as, as a fan. And, you know, like right now, there's you know, three or four bands that I've gotten into in the last two years that I'm really, really getting into. And one of the ones I saw last week, and I'm very consciously aware that I'm getting really, really into them because they really, really remind me of stuff I was listening to when I was 14 years old. They're new. They're exciting to me. Are they doing anything that brand new musically? Probably not, but it taps into a style of something I've been familiar with and listening to for a long, long time. Um, but they're young bands and they seem to be creating a new fandom who don't have nostalgia for that stuff. So I kind of find that fascinating as well. So, well, you, you mentioned you and I are the eternal 16 year old girls. Um, Amy, you actually have a 16 year old girl. I do. What does she listen to? She, uh, one direction. No, okay. that's more my 14 year old. Um, uh, she actually listens to a fair amount of country yeah. music. Um, and she, um, she said that like, that's actually like not an uncool thing mm -hmm. to listen to a, a, a representative, I guess, at least of her, uh, high school. Um, and she also listens to some hip hop and rap. How does, how does she consume music? Does she do it just through individual songs that she downloads or YouTube or, um, I, th I think at this point, the majority is, is Spotify. Okay. So getting individual songs, yeah, um, streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got, I don't know how many playlists on there. Mm. Um, in, including one called oldies, but goodies <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that's, that's she, um, all the way back from the nineties, doesn't it? <laughs> Even earlier, um, she, um, she just got her license recently. And so, you know, we were, we were going somewhere she was driving and she told me to, to launch her Spotify on her phone and she's like, oh, and go, go to this playlist. And, um, I don't know how old Florence and the machine would be considered because that there was some of that in there, but there was, there was Billy Joel and like, like early eighties, Billy Joel, mm -hmm. there was. Def Leppard was the first thing. She's like, that one's for you, mom. Um, Tori Amos, that yeah. that's for dad. You, you can skip that if you want, mom. Um, and she, she even had like some Bowie and um, some other, you know, kind of to me, like older stuff, mm -hmm. um, like more seventies stuff that she said, um, one of her study hall teachers had been noodling around on his guitar during study hall and was playing this stuff and she liked it. So she put it on her playlist. See, and that, that, that comes back to that thing we've mentioned several times on the show, Mav, of you know, the Edelwolf, everything being available all the time forever. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when I was 16 years old, you know, I had the records in the record store and the radio would play you know, quote unquote oldies. Uh, and there was that fifties weird revival thing in, in the seventies, but I just, I didn't have access to 
you know, I, I couldn't just open up my computer and listen to a Frank Sinatra song. Right. Um, you know, I, I was a, you know, in high school in, in 1978. If I didn't buy a Crosby, Stills and Nash album from 1968, I didn't hear anything other than one or two songs on the radio. So you, music, unless you were an artist who, who stuck around for a long time, you just didn't have access to this stuff. You didn't hear the one hit wonders. You, you didn't hear, you didn't have the abilities yeah. to make a playlist with Bowie and, and whatever on. So I, I think that's definitely the way it changes our, our interaction with this stuff. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. It, I mean, exactly what you're saying there before the current generation, your options growing up, you know, how do your musical tastes get formed until you're roughly the age where you might have a couple of bucks in your pocket that you can go out and buy the public enemy album or the Ramones, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that your parents hate because it's garbage music right. um, until you're old enough to do that. You're just listening to whatever, you know, like what did I love, did I love when I was a little kid? I loved P-Funk because my mom and my uncles loved P-Funk. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, they're right. Yeah, P-Funk is amazing. Yeah, so yeah. They're, they're correct. Um, but but that's what I had access to. So that's what I listened to. And you're right. Like, we, you know, we talk about one hit wonders because it, there, there's this sort of concept where traditionally people always say, you know, back in my day, it was real music. We had stuff like, and then you insert the most popular bands of the time. So it's really easy for me to say music was amazing in the eighties. We had Prince, we had Michael Jackson, we had Metallica, we had uh, Madonna. Madonna was huge. Yeah. The, yeah. There are, you know, in every genre and <laughs> hip hop and art and rock and pop, there's all these huge bands. And I could say it was a golden age. And that's not really true because also around the same time that I'm listening to public enemy, I'm also listening to Cash Money and Marvelous. You guys have no idea who Cash Money and Marvelous. Easy Fantasia. Yeah, you don't know who these people are because they sucked. They're just music yeah. that like history has happily forgotten. In, Cash Money and Marvelous, and they shouldn't have. Because it's a great band. <laughs> what 1974? Bowie releases Rebel Rebel, and everybody still knows all the words of that song. The biggest song in America that year was "The Nice Chicago Died by Paper Lace," and nobody's ever heard it. <laughs> yeah, and the, so yeah, we I, forget. Yeah, yeah, we forget those things. But like. Now it's 2018. There is no forgetting. If I want to pull up a Cash Money and Marvelous song on iTunes or on Spotify or Pandora, it's there. No yeah. one ever would, but I could because, do it. If I really you, don't, would. you don't hear about them. But now that we've talked about them and Paper Lace and Hazy Fantasy on the show, they've just made 37 cents on Spotify. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they made that much. <laughs> no, not, not, yeah, prob probably not. Yeah. <laughs> no, we tried. But, uh, well, but, but, but quite possibly the first penny that they've, of royalty that right. they've gotten in, in years. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I so much grew up with that whole, you know, the seventies, the, the album rock. I, I still tend to listen that way. I, I think of albums as whole pieces. Uh, it would never occur to me to, put on a song from Queen's Night at the Opera by itself without listening to the entire album that includes Bohemian Rhapsody. If I sit down to listen to something, I listen to an album, not a playlist. Um, but that's the way I was programmed in the 70s. Album-oriented rock was, was the thing I grew up with. And you know, I, I think of that the same way. Like I wouldn't pick up you know, the first Harry Potter book and start on chapter 19. Why would that, why would you do that? Uh, and that's how I feel about albums. And it's, it's weirdly different though, because it depends on, it depends on the, on the album. So. And I'm yeah, speaking my, very much for myself here. You yeah, know, yeah. It, it, but it also, not just the album, but it also depends on how you choose to go about it. Yeah. 
Right. Well, what I'm thinking of, though, is like, so you, so Bohemian Rhapsody, probably the biggest song on that album. If we check the charts, I'm sure it's it charted higher than anything, anything else. But you know, Sally Simpson is easily my favorite song from the Who's Tommy. I love that song, mm-hmm. but it absolutely makes no sense to just start there. Like you're, that that album is that yeah. album is a story. However, I mean, I said at the very beginning, Public Enemy, one of my favorite bands, always has been a favorite band. I have listened to Nation of Millions you know, from from song one to song 12 a million times. But sometimes I just want to hear Don't Believe the Hype and I might just start there. So, so it really mm-hmm. depends on like I would never start in the middle of Tommy, but I would start in, in the middle of, of Nation of Millions. Absolutely. And that yeah. album does tell a story, too. And, and it's just certain, different. Yeah. Yeah. So like in the 90s, when I was just starting to have a tiny bit of money of my own, <laughs> I missed those days. <laughs> I, when I would, I would buy an album and you had to go to the store and, you know, actually buy the album. And that was maybe the only album you could afford for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So my, my listening pattern was very much when I got an album, I listened to it a thousand times and like really, really got into it or it, it just sucked. And I threw it in a pile and it's still in that pile. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like in the 2000s, I would buy stuff from iTunes and I would like be more explorative and, you know, I might buy a compilation. I might buy several things. I might buy things and like not listen to them for a while. Mm-hmm. And I might buy things and just put them in a giant playlist that I'd listen to when I'm writing or drawing or something. And I have a lot of music from the 2000s that I don't, I couldn't actually tell you the name of that song or who did it, but I probably listened to it like a thousand times. Because it was like, I have 99 cents. That's, that's catchy. Let me just. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just a very a big change. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a really important thing. Yes. When I, you know, I'm 16 years old and I spent you know, all of $7 for an album. That was a lot of money at that time. And you took it home and you listened to it and you listened to it and you listened to it because you'd spend fucking $7 <laughs> on that album. And, and there were times, you know, like I, I, I bought, you know, while we're talking about Queen, I bought Night at the Opera. I've told this story a million times, just not on this show. Yeah, there, there's that whole thing of the queen was huge in 1976 and well, maybe other places, not in little green County where I grew up, where they, they weirded out everybody. Um, first time I heard Bohemian Rhapsody, I was at a small high school party. One of those first boys and girls were both there and we were all awkward and didn't know what to do. And, and the radio was on and the first part of boys on the left side, girls on the right side. of the- Yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. And, and the radio's on and it's playing whatever the hits of the day were, you know, muskrat love by captain it's Neil and, and some other stuff. And the first part of Bohemian Rhapsody comes on and nobody notices or pays any attention. And then that middle section with the opera part starts and the party stopped. Everybody just stood there and listened sort of aghast at what was happening. And then it turns into the rock thing. And, and when the song was over, I remember very specifically, everybody in that room was just like, that was so stupid. What was that? That's the wow. dumbest thing I ever heard. And there's Wayne over in the corner thinking, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I went out and bought the album like immediately because of that and was the only person I knew in my small high school who owned that album or cared about Queen. Um, and first time I listened to that album, it blew my mind in all kinds of ways. I didn't know what to make of it. That album is stylistically all over the map. I think it had a huge influence on the way I still listen to music because my tastes are all over the map. It was not the Kiss album I'd bought the month before. You know, it wasn't just here's a rock album that I understand. It was challenging. And at first, like, I'm never, what is this? I, well, I'll listen to Bohemian Rhapsody, but I don't know that I'll listen to this other stuff ever again. And, you know, 40 plus years later, I still listen to that album. So it had a huge impact on me. But 
I listened to the album because I'd spent seven dollars on it, <laughs> and 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 I didn't know what to make of the Prophet song. That was a weirder thing I'd ever heard in my life. But I kept listening to it because I'd spent seven dollars on it, and all the only other thing I had in the house was that Kiss album. So, <laughs> so just that way of of processing an album and music and becoming intimate with it in a way that you now you pay nine ninety nine a month for for Spotify plus taxes, and you can listen to music twenty four seven for the next month. And I often do. Yeah. I mean, and, I don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, and and that's it. It's like you know, do you spend as much time with like if I listened to Night at the Opera for the first time today and had the same reaction to it I did when I was 16 of like, what the hell is this? I don't know that I would ever have listened to it again and it would not become my favorite music. So there's that, that processing thing that, that takes place through repetition and forcing yourself to listen to things or, or try new things. And I've had that happen with different albums, things that I was sort of blasé with when I first heard it. And then over time, I, I learned to really, really like it. Uh, but it took repeated plays to do that again we're all old fogies on the show today but i don't think i i, I don't think it's fair to say that you you, you wouldn't have found the music because it, you know it's 2018 and taylor swift is a thing i don't know how she became a thing but she is yeah, well, um, yes, and yeah. you know we amy yeah. you mentioned earlier you know i don't know zane direction whatever his, whatever his name is <laughs> um, but like these are people who like Jay Z, Beyonce, any genre, you know, there are people who have yeah. you know, the weekend. They have a following. There is a way to do that. So, uh, so, and, and yeah. part of it, you know, I tell you, you know, you talk about you know kids, young young music today. And this is from a couple of years ago. There is a song that there's a song by. Uh, Charlie Puth featuring Megan Trainer called Marvin Gaye. The name of the song is Marvin Gaye. And it's an amazing song that is a throwback in style to early Marvin Gaye music singing about it's called Let's Marvin Gaye and Get It On. It's an amazing song. And I listened to it and I actually did pay 99 cent for for that when I heard it randomly on on Spotify or something. I said, I, I, I need this in my life and I have listened to it again. And I, I can't name for you another Charlie Puth song at this point. I don't know. I I believe he's still recording, but who would know? But he's got fans. Somehow he somehow people do build careers still. And it it's not by yeah. forcing us to go out and buy albums still. And, you know, and money has always been, you know, the real money in rock has always been in the live performances mm-hmm. and the concerts and the merchandising. But yeah, the merchandising. But like, yeah. You don't, you know, even yeah. even not doing that. Well, there's a way to there's a way to build an audience. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I, I certainly don't mean to be dismissive of, of young fans and the music they listen to. I mean, it, it's their time and they're discovering stuff. Like say there are artists out there who are making a living. You know, people are doing this. I, I guess I'm just, I'm kind of fascinated in the differences and trying mm-hmm. to understand it because it's, you know, cause so much of it is so different from the way I did it. But at the same time, we're all still digging music. I, and it just observationally, the concert I went to last week, it's a, a new, I mean, they're, they're a rock band, straight up rock band, band called Greta Van Fleet that sounds tremendously like Led Zeppelin. And that will be the first sentence anybody says to you if they talk to you about Greta Van Fleet, because they really do. Um, and that's caused some backlash. People who are just like, oh, they just sound like Led Zeppelin. Um, it's it's that whole thing of, I've heard people my age bitch for years about how nobody's doing rock and roll anymore. And then a band does rock and roll and it gets dismissed because it just sounds like the old stuff. Um, they're all like 20 years old. They're remarkably talented. They put on an amazing rock show last week. And I was surrounded by an age range of 
people my age down to teens. Um, and just observationally, you know, the, the soundtrack that was playing over the speakers before the band came on was lots of classic rock, which fits the, the style of this band. And it was kind of fascinating because I'm looking around, there's all these young people who know all the words to, you know, a Bob Seger song or, or whatever. It's like, okay, that's great. This stuff is out there. People are doing it. But then I overheard conversations like the Beatles come together, came over the thing. And this young couple next to me is like, oh, I love this song. Who is this? This is the Rolling Stones, isn't it? And then they, then they hold up their cell phone with Shazam and they find out it's the Beatles. And they're like, oh, okay, it's not the Rolling Stones. And like, I, I can't remember not knowing that difference. Oh, that, that way they but I find that fascinating. No, I, well, that's, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm still disappointed. And, 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 and it, it is like, it's that whole thing of like, I know that, but I, like, they're 20. They've heard come together on the radio, maybe. They're not no, obvious the way I am. Yeah, they're exposed to it in, in very, very different ways. And like, you know, if you don't know that, you don't know that. And, but like, they're, they're here, they're digging this music. They really like come together. They just didn't happen to know who it was. And, and I am such a hobbyist. I, I know, you know, the shoe size of the bass player and what, you know, whatever. Just, you know, crazy stupid statistics. Yeah, yeah. Some of music, absolutely. So, so I find that, that kind of fascinating. And not everybody has to interact with music the way I do. I, I, I'm somewhat obsessive with it, but with any hobby, but I, I, once again, it's just, it's that observational thing of how this has changed. And I, I love seeing that. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious, Amy, so. I'm curious about your point. You're the only one of all of the old people who actually has children. And uh, you told the story already about, you know, your daughter having the old people playlist of things that were from when we were 16. So, but like there, I mean, you at least get to more so than the rest of us sort of up close, watch an evolution of music you have no choice. You just get to see that every day. Yeah. And, and have to listen to it <laughs> sometimes, you know, from two different bedrooms at once. Although usually they have their, their head, their, uh, their earbuds in as opposed to like when we were growing up and like, you'd have your boombox playing and your sibling would have theirs and <laughs> parents would be yelling at you to turn it down. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, like you said, like it, it changes sometimes like it changes like on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something will come on the radio and they're like, oh, change the channel. I don't like, I don't like this. And you're like, but like, didn't you like them like last week? It's <laughs> like your favorite <laughs> what do you mean, like, in the car. Well, in the car, basically, um, they will um, flip through. Um, I have, there's like kind of a section of either like the local radio stations and some of the um, serious stations that, um, that they'll listen to. And then, Sometimes they'll agree on which station they want to be listening to. Sometimes they'll, they'll argue and, and like, I'll have to like flip through them, you know, the, like, oh, that's a commercial. Go on to the next one. Oh, wait. Okay. Kind of like that song, but let's go see what's on the other channel. Come back to it. Um, so, so that's something that's never changed. I mean, that, that's, that's teenage behavior with music that I've witnessed my entire life. Yeah. But um, yeah, they, you know, they kind of, Sometimes it diverges and sometimes converges and sometimes they'll be interested in listening to something that I also like to listen to. And other times, you know, my stuff has to go. <laughs> <laughs> Max, I mean, you at least play gigs, but 
I mean, usually you're playing your own music, but you get to see other people performing. What do you notice yeah. as a, as sort of changing as see? Because I was at, I mean, I was at, well, I was at your um, first concert ever, and that was you know 1993, four, something like uh, that. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard to there, there's no there's no control group. Like all my projects have like appealed to a very specific, very small number of different sets of people. Um, and they haven't usually lasted long enough for me to make that comparison over time. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know what to say about that. Well, I guess. So it's weird because we, we talked about, you know, how does, you know, how does one make a living as a, as a musician? But I don't know. I don't know that this show is about that because Max is the only one who's, you know, a practicing musician. It, it's more, you know, our show has always been about how music affects culture. So, you know, we talked about the psychological effect of like how you start listening to stuff and like maybe why, because I, it's interesting because Wayne, you said the article said anywhere from 12 to 22 and I had said 14 Max had Mm -hmm. said 20. So that's certainly in that range. And I, I get that, you hit a point in your life where I am an impressionable 14 year old. I am going through puberty or I am an impressionable 20 year old. I've, you know, I've moved on to college and I'm on my own or, you know, whatever you, you hit this point where for some reason you're receptive to the music and it sort of imprints on your brain. I believe that. So how does it affect you over life after that? Like Steph, you said, you listen to music while you're working because, you know, it calms you. Max, you, you talked about, well, like, I, I know you're not trying to become <laughs> angry by listening to the dark music. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> but no, like, not at all. I find it actually the best thing I find when I'm stuck in traffic, like going to the airport or something for three hours. The thing that makes me like not want to kill anybody is listening to nine inch nails really loud. <laughs> well, there's something it's cathartic about that. in its way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a way in which music sets, I, I mean, it, it can affect your mood in a, in a way. And I don't know how to even understand that as a, you know, as sort of a, you know, we talk about, we said the soundtrack of our life. Right. But like, why do you allow that to happen? Like we make conscious choices and I'm not just listening to music in the car because I don't know if we do make conscious choices. What do you mean? Very little of our thoughts are. <laughs> Did you just watch Westworld? <laughs> She's never seen Westworld. No, I've never seen it. But I mean, okay. as a psychologist, I have to say that very little of our actions or behaviors are consciously driven. Well, no, I don't, yeah, I don't mean it like that. I mean, I mean, like Max said, you're, you're, you're in the car you're mad because fuck this traffic. I am going to, I'm going to turn on nine inch nails. I have been at work. And I mean, I, if you go back in my Twitter stream before I went back to college and decided to become an academic and I was working office jobs that were thankless, there were many times where it's just where I would say something like, Oh my God, I'm working late. All the white people have gone home. I get to turn up NWA all the fucking way because <laughs> um, you're not you're not allowed to blast gangster rap when white people are around. It's just it's inappropriate. <laughs> but it made me feel better. It, you know, it, it like am I you know do I make a conscious choice to enjoy it? I don't know, but I mean, but there is definitely a thing where I'm where I'm like I want to set you know like I want a soundtrack for this moment, and I am choosing to make that insert band name here 
I am choosing to listen to Queen right now. I am choosing. Yeah, I mean, to- it, it really is kind of a mood regulator for I think a lot of people, not just me, where you either. Yeah want to pick something that's kind of cathartic and kind of reflects your emotion to kind of be able to experience that emotion. So you sort of get it out of your system or it's a way to change your emotions. Like if you're with me personally, like when I'm feeling down, <laughs> I kind of tend to listen to music that's a little bit depressing and then it kind of is cathartic. But I know some people are kind of the opposite where they'll maybe listen to something cheerful, maybe. Maybe I'm just making this up, but I, I think it can be used in those no, two I, separate that, ways. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I know I do both of those things. So I was just going to say, I, I think it's probably a very complicated set of reasons interconnected for why any particular thing works at any particular moment and the different attachments you form to things at different points in time. And it's a very complicated question that would take several dozen, you know, psychologists, probably not the same kind of psychologist as Steph. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Alex. Um, to figure this out. And, yeah. <laughs> The flute's a real instrument. Comedy roll agrees. I have to do callbacks. (laughs) Mental note, never book flute players on the show again. But I don't know. Like sometimes, sometimes like, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but like I'll be in a particular mood and just like a song will just feel like it's resonating with my brain. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, but. Mm -hmm. That's a very good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I just I, I I work with a guy who listens to a lot of the the jam band stuff, Fish and the the Dead and that sort of thing, and he's very much about the groove and and he finds it you know, upbeat and uplifting, and he thinks a tremendous amount of what I listen to is dark and depressing, and will make all of our customers want to kill themselves when <laughs> I play it in the store. <laughs> And I don't disagree with that assessment about some of the things I play. Um, but that, you know, that, yeah, there are times I just, you, my, my mood is I, I need something more low key and, and more somber. And there are times it's because I'm in that mood and there, there are times I just need it to calm me down. Yeah, it's, it's not just the music. There's, there's lyrical quality to it. There's personal associations I have with some of these albums, you know, like, Oh, this, this particular album was the soundtrack of this relationship. And I'm thinking about this person, I'm going to put this on. So it, it, it brings back all of that stuff as well. There, there are albums. I went to grad school in 86 and I, I moved in. There were six of us who shared an apartment, six guys with all of the madness that six guys sharing a college apartment implies. And, and my one roommate had just a record collection that changed my life. He just, he had tons and tons of all kinds of indie stuff and punk stuff and college rock and things that I had never heard of and don't know that I would have heard of if I hadn't, hadn't lived with him. And a lot of those artists are people who I continue to follow and, and continue to listen to. But there's that handful of albums that like I just are so associated with those two years, period. And I can't hear them without memories of that time coming back and there are times i'm just i'm thinking about that stuff and oh i haven't listened to that album for a while it, it will bring me back to that time and and those were mostly good times in my life and and i think that's important and just you say songs and albums that make me think of specific people in my life that will either make me feel close to them or remember them or well, that's or why whatever. we score movies um, right i mean like the like the entire a, like or movies or tv shows yeah. the entire concept of of happy days is really about that song. You know, the jukebox sh- plays at the very beginning of, of it because it's yeah. really like the, that television show took place 20 years before it was actually airing. 
but it could have happy days could have been timeless. The only thing that really, really sets that location that really makes it the fifties is that the fifties music is playing. Similarly, if you watch uh, on our, like we've talked about on a couple of shows, we've talked about one of my favorite shows, wonder years, which is on in the eighties when I'm eighties and nineties when I'm growing up, but it's taking place in the, in the sixties and seventies, 20 years earlier. And, And the nostalgia is totally just established by that music. And like, I mean, Max, you've, you've, you know, you've written, you've done, you've tried to score something. You, you want to match the, the sound to what's going on. And I think, I think we do that for ourselves, you know, however, yeah. you know, however I might see being stuck on traffic or I might see a breakup or I might see, I don't know, sex, whatever you want to do, you set music on, on that you sort you sort of want to associate with that feeling at that time. And then Max can tell me that that's not how you score music is all <laughs> movies at all. It's totally random. <laughs> Close enough. I mean, the important thing is that this stuff happens at the same time as the things happening. You know, it's all timing. Mm-hmm. You want your scary chord at the scary part. <laughs> Scoring one hundred and one. Yeah. No, just be great. You, just, you know, the the slasher comes out with his big knife, and all of a sudden, it's just like Benny Hill music starts playing. <laughs> big mistake. Well, and and, and, it, and I've I've seen you know, videos where they they demonstrate that sort of thing, like exactly that, and and it does. It's amazing how the exact same visuals are completely changed oh, by what you're hearing. Everything is better with yeah, the they accompany them. There's. I yes. Go back to Westworld because Steph hasn't seen it, but there's like no one spoilers. scene in Westworld that's set to paint it black. Um, yeah, and then yeah. like because everything repeats in Westworld, a little later in the season, they um, they have basically the same scene, but it's set to uh, Carmen or something, mm-hmm. something kind of comic and not nearly as badass as Paint It Black. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a fun trick. Well, I mean, same, the same, show, same trick works with to what to take another of my favorite shows that I don't have to do spoilers on. You know, Max just ruined Westworld for everybody. And not really uh-huh. because uh, it doesn't like you're not you, going to understand Westworld. Yeah, Westworld is impossible to comprehend. Watch, I'm, you, you don't yeah, even have yeah. to watch it. <laughs> yeah, but and to go back to over. um, in one of one of the things that I think really illustrates that is the reboot of Battlestar Galactica where they spent two seasons, you know, figuring out this code. And then on the last two episodes or a couple episodes, you discover that the code is just, it's the melody to all along the watchtower. And then they have this, you know, this fight epic fight scene Mm -hmm. with that plane. And it's just sort of, it's sort of, it makes sense in that moment. You know, it, it really does. It becomes the soundtrack that sort of makes that show work in this, odd way that <laughs> that is hard to yeah. understand it's just like dissociated from the actual song somehow what do you mean i don't know it, they take it kind of okay i didn't watch the show you might have to edit this part out actually <laughs> but um no, anytime anybody <laughs> the lesson that abby has learned on this show before who's not on the show today but if you say something embarrassing that's the way to stay in there to, to make the edit. All right. But anyway, I, I don't know. Um, so it just, I guess they're set in the future, right? Battlestar Galactica? Turns out no, but yes. No. <laughs> they're actually in the past. All right. Anyway. It's, it's very confusing. Anyway, play. to me, when I saw it, it just really was dissociated from yeah, that very- song, from that original Bob Dylan and then Jimi Hendrix remake of the song. So it just really fit the movie yeah. and I didn't really have any prior associations with 
with mm-hmm. that song for some reason. I was well, trying to figure out why. Well, she'll edit out. No, no, I, I think because um, I think you just you brought up a, an interesting point. Uh, but, but let me let me just say for a second. But like, did it? So you you it didn't remind you of the song from other places, but did it strike a particular emotional chord with you when that stuff was happening? I would show? say the tone, the emotional tone was set more by the movie than by that, that little, that little musical okay. theme. Okay. So, but she sort of, by mentioning the fact that, you know, you have the Dylan version and to the, to the, the Hendrix version, and then they actually re-recorded, I don't remember the band that actually recorded it for. It was just the guy who does the okay, show. It was just him. Uh, Bear McCreary. Okay. Um, Some people. Don't. One of the things that I find interesting and is um about what she's saying is there's sort of a, a power to covers that sort of does that right so uh, if i if i start with in, in fact um wayne you mentioned that um in the blog you talked about the number one song of 1969 is sugar sugar yeah by the archies what do you mean it's sad, oh, that's my I, that's well, my first year yeah, well, yeah. And, and, and your yeah. life is defined yeah, by sugar it, sugar. It's, <laughs> and, and then that, that's yeah, completely. Well, no, it's in some ways yes, because I mean, that's that's I alluded to this at the beginning of the show. We're talking about what we listened to when we were kids. You know, before I was fourteen, and I'm watching cartoons. It's the late '60s, and yes, the the Archies were the best example of this. But you know, cartoons and comics and music were all. Linked. I mean, they they were marketing to kids, but you know, the Beatles had a cartoon. Right. The Jackson Five had a cartoon. Every cartoon I watched in 1969 mm-hmm. had a band in it that that played music. There were, you know, the Monkees were live, but they were on Saturday mornings. And so there was this whole thing of children's mm-hmm. entertainment, but they were all rock bands. You know, they they were living this thing. So I was I was being prompted to be a fan of music and rock by all the cartoons yeah. I was watching when I was eight years old. And I think that has certainly changed, but you know, we had the Archies mm-hmm. in 1969. For the last 15 years or so, we've had the Gorillas. Yeah, absolutely. They're an animated band that has hit songs. Yeah, they, absolutely. They don't exist and, for and, but even more than that, I was getting at like the fact that that song, though, has been re-recorded dozens of times, most recently on the new show. Yeah. Yeah. I At random on the radio, I think it was RCT, the local station from Carnegie Mellon, I heard this marvelous, deep dark, slow, goth-sounding version of Sugar Sugar, and they didn't tell me who it was, and I haven't been able to find it since. So that that's that's your assignment, Internet. Find, find that the song goth version me. of Sugar Sugar. But, but, well, but what I'm wondering is, is this, like, part of the thing that Steph and Max were talking about? Like, when you... So, on, on Riverdale, you have Sugar Sugar, I believe it's sung by Josie the Pussycats and, and on the Riverdale version. And, obviously, mm-hmm. it's a callback to the original song. But you've got this goth version that you're that you that you remember hearing the one time people cover songs all the time and they're not just covering songs because they're lazy they want to bring something new to it they're trying to bring their own take to it yeah but the beauty of recording sugar sugar is you're asking the audience to take what i'm giving you and try to relate it to this earlier point in in your life um other famous covers is there any cover where it's bigger than the original song along the watchtower oh yeah absolutely jimmy hendrix is all along the watchtower is is bigger than than dylan's hey joe pretty much any cover that hendrix did yeah, right. Yes, any cover yeah. of Jimmy. Yeah, including the national anthem, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so you have those songs that why does Hendrix go to Woodstock and play the national anthem? Yeah. 
Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to throw another one of those cover songs that nobody knows is a cover song. Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll was recruit, recorded by the Arrows, a British band from the glam era that nobody's heard of except Joan um, Jett. Prince first recorded and, uh, Celine, uh, what's her name? Um, 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 Nothing Appears to You. Um, Sinead O'Connor. O'Connor's biggest song. That, that, that's yeah, originally a Prince song that no one's yeah. heard but me because I'm a huge Prince fan. Yeah. Um, people have heard his People have heard Prince's cover of Sinead's version, which he sings with, sang with Rosie Gain, but his original nice. version is very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think the question you were posing before we started you know, throwing out these other songs was, what what are they bringing that? What's the reason for doing that? And I think it becomes metatextual at that point. Like, here's a song that I like, and here's my version of it, but you are trying to connect it to this other version. If you've never heard the other version, then it's just a song. But if you know that that pedigree, you bring something different to the listening experience as well. Yeah. I mean, how many artists do covers albums? You know, Bowie released a covers album between Aladdin Sane and, and Diamond Dogs of his favorite Gaga songs did one from two the years 60s. Ago. Lady Gaga did one with Tony Bennett. Um, yeah, Tori did one. Yeah. 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 Like Def Leppard did one in 2006 yeah. and it was all like 70s. Yeah. British yeah. rock. And, and I mean, that just seems to be a thing that so many artists participate in and, and do uh alice cooper has been touring with a, a band he put together called the hollywood vampires and they're basically covering songs of people he were friends he was friends with who have now all died so it's a tribute to these people he knew people he used to drink with and whatever many of whom died of drinking uh hollywood vampires was the name of a little drinking club he had with harry nielsen and mickey delins and the monkeys and some other people and yeah, and it's, it's, I listen to that album and it's Alice's voice and, and there's a music style there, but it's also all these songs I know, but he brings something very different to it. And on his point, it's very much as a, meant as a tribute to, to these other bands and just people who are friends of his. He begins and ends the album with an original song and just the last song is called My Dead Drunk Friends. And probably very true. And it's also, it's, yeah, it, it's also you know, it, it's also meant as a warning because Alice could have been one of them. He nearly died of alcoholism and coke in the late seventies, and he's been clean since the, the mid eighties. But he's very aware that I could have been one of those dead drunk friends. So it's a tribute, but it's also a cautionary tale. Just to continue in the line of, of covers, because I'm a huge fan, I just have to point out Prince had a phase where he released a string of Prince covers, <laughs> <laughs> which was brilliant. Yeah. And since you say that, there's a, a musician I listen to, a guy by the name of Will Oldham. Will Oldham in the early 90s was in a band called Palace. And then the second album was Palace Brothers. And then the third album was Palace Music. And, and they, several albums with the name based on the variation of the, the name Palace. And then he started recording under the name Bonnie Prince Billy, which he, he still records under that name. After he had released, I don't know, two or three albums of Bonnie Prince Billy, he released a Bonnie Prince Billy Sings Greatest <laughs> Palace Music album. So he went back and re-recorded. He, he did a tribute mm -hmm. album to his earlier career. And it was all the same songs, but he had completely rearranged them in new ways that I found absolutely fascinating. Like this is the same person recontextualizing mm -hmm. his own music. And one of the best examples of that was there was a song called Ohio Riverboat Song, but the original version is a slow dirge. This will make you want to kill yourself <laughs> song. And the, and, and, and the, yeah, it's just right up your alley, Max. Uh, 
and and the the updated Bonnie Prince Billy Billy Bonnie Prince Billy version of it was this uplifting song of joy. Same lyrics, but the music had changed so dramatically. Just the way he arranged all of it, and not being a musician, I find that absolutely just a change of key, or is it, um, or is it completely different music? No, it's 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 it, it, it's tempo. It's completely different, different music. Yeah, it's tempo. It's the the way he sings the words. Yeah, different melody. Yeah, it's 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 an utterly different song except for the lyrics. And I find that, I mean, in Prince's case, he did his because this was during the portion when he was warring with Warner Brothers over the usage of the name Prince. So yeah. uh, it was at that point in time we are literally in the year i think 1998 we're, we're closing in on the actual year 1999 and prince realizes I'm, I'm not going into the year 1999 not being able to sing one of my biggest hits ever 1999 so he recorded an album called right. 1999 the new masters which is just the song 1999 over and over again it's like it's got like 10 tracks on it but it's all just that song <laughs> in, in different arrangements <laughs> that he that he sang under the name you know under the so, i don't have a name name the you know, the artist formerly known as prince but so, um, so he just he just yeah. records the song over and over again and I don't think anybody cares about this album again, but me and and, and random big big Prince fans. But it's but it was it was it was sort of it it very much is a look. Here's where I am now as an artist. You know, the entire idea of being of being symbol mm -hmm. instead of Prince was here's where I am as an artist. It's a statement that he's making through his persona as well as the music. Well, since since Bowie died, there have been a number of his live albums recorded. And there were some that were out there available anyway. And same thing, like you, you can hear him over the years rearranging songs for the way they're performed on stage. I mean, the whole idea of performativity with, with him specifically, as well as other artists. You know, I, you know if you're Mick Jagger, how many times have you so sung satisfaction i can see wanting to change up yeah. your own interaction with a song and you can hear bowie doing that over the course of of his entire career and when you hear the live versions as well songs changed over time as as he did uh and i, I think some of that was probably just to keep it interesting to himself you know, people are gonna want to hear rebel <laughs> rebel let me change it up a little bit it's a story i, I want to say it i don't remember the year i want to say Amy or Max, you guys might remember this. There was a carnival. There was a year spring carnival at Carnegie Mellon University where we went to college every year for the carnival band. They just book a concert with some massive rock, pop, hip hop band. And one year, I want to say like 1993, we had oh, R.E.M. Yeah. And um, they, there's a point where they say, you know, any, re any request. And obviously they're going to request into the end of the world. And he stands up on stage and he goes, how many times have you heard this song? <laughs> and everyone's like, no, he's they cheer you and he's like, all right, if you've heard it a million, whatever, however many times you've heard the song, I have sang it a million times more than that. I thought it was Superman that he hated to play. Cause <laughs> oh, no, 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 cause it was, the, maybe there are many songs. Yeah, that but, yeah, it was like, I, it's like, it's like, I have played it a million times yeah. more than you have heard it. Yeah. I'm not doing it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and REM performed at Carnegie Mellon University and refused to play <laughs> Into the World, their biggest song. <laughs> because, because he just wasn't in the mood. <laughs> I mean, he's an artist. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, well, that's it. If, if, you, 
it, it's your job. I mean, any of us, you know, our day to day jobs are aspects of it that get very boring and repetition. And if that's going to be musicians as well. Yeah. Stipe, what are you doing? <laughs> just, I mean, like, like I'd, be, I'd be upset. Yeah, we pay, we, you know, we're paying you to come here and play the fucking hits. You know? <laughs> right, right. You know, you don't, you, you don't, again, you don't book. I, I remember um, our, when, when Prince played the Super Bowl. He, he he was he was doing this thing. He was calling radio stations, and he he was releasing a cover of All Along the Watchtower. Actually, he was Prince was covering All Along the Watchtower, and he had released it to um, a bunch of radio stations. He talked about it on social media. He sent it to the Howard Stern Show, and and released it with the instructions that people were to play this on the radio, and then spend the next five to ten minutes speculating as to whether Prince would play it at. <laughs> at the Super Bowl <laughs> because Prince I, I love Prince but the man had an ego yeah, no, yeah. He, had a, he had an ego that was deserved <laughs> he was yeah. one of the greatest musicians of all time yeah. but he knew that yeah. and he is like so it's like please speculate as to whether or not I will play and now, now obviously he's going to play the song because like why else are you promoting like otherwise this is really stupid so of course he opens it with it right. and then it's like and also speculate as to what other songs you know, you know, he'll play now he has a new album coming out but at but like the question is, if you're booking Prince for the Super Bowl, you're not booking Prince for whatever album, you know, whatever new song he's recording in 2009. You're booking him to play fucking Take Purple Rain. <laughs> That's what he's there for. And if you don't play yeah, it, right, right, I'm, right. I'm, yeah. and he did. He actually played it. Uh, it, it was the it's the only time it's yeah. ever it's the yeah. only time it's ever rained during a Super Bowl halftime show. Prince made it rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you need someone like who's prepared in the audience at say an REM show to explain to him, look, I have never been to an REM show where you've played the song. <laughs> and I may never be, be again. Not, a, well, not after he just yells at the audience, fuck you, I'm not coming back. So. <laughs> uh, temperamental artist. You have to be very sensitive, I guess. So once again, we're, so once again, we've resolved nothing. I, we're, we're a little over an hour in the recording, so it's time, it's time for that line. Yeah, I thought, I thought we wouldn't have to say that. I mean, I, I can well, talk I, about music you know, like the rest of the night. Uh, I, it, it's, we, we are kind of at that point of reminiscing and we've talked about these issues. I, I don't know that we've really focused on any specific thing. I think we've asked a lot of questions and, and speculated and, and I don't know that there are answers to any of these things. I just, I find it. Just, you know, for my own life and those around me, interesting or just how important this thing becomes to, to so many of us and, and how it changes our life and how it mm. continues to influence our life. So, and I, I mean, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe, maybe the entire point of music as an, you know, as an art music is something that is undefinable. You know, what is music? It is, it is that thing. It's you know? emotion. It's logic. It's experiences. It's memories. It's yeah. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. All of those and things. it's different to every single person who, I mean, you know, we, we opened with, you yeah. know, what, what, what were your favorite bands growing up? And th that's never going to be the same. I mean, I, I, I'll sit there and I'll say, oh, Prince is the greatest musician of all time. And, you know, no one's well, that Prince, no one's going to argue with me. But also when you say Bowie, no one's going to argue with you. <laughs> and when you say, you know, you know, like, the, well, yeah. Beethoven? What do you, I mean, what are you going to pick? You know, there's, there's no, Mozart. yeah, Mozart, <laughs> uh, airy direction. But if I'm standing here you know, making a, a case for hazy fans, Fantasy as being the greatest band ever, I, I'll probably get some blowback on that. So, 
Well, I would like to thank all of our guests today. This is one of the biggest shows that we've had. All 47 of you. All 47 of them. <laughs> uh, we'll start with Steph. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Steph. Do you, do you, do you have me. anything you want to promote? Um, go read my papers online. <laughs> yes, try, to find, try to find them. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Read Steph's try Google research Scholar. on Google Scholar. <laughs> Amy, what about you? Um, no, I I got nothing. Although I can also be found on Google Scholar. Yay! <laughs> yes, <laughs> the fans of music, please go read everybody's academic articles. <laughs> uh, Max, um, well, I have a new album out. You have a new album out. It's not on Google Scholar. Your album's lame. Your album needs to be on Google Scholar. You should totally just write a paper about your own album. <laughs> it's on Bandcamp. It is is right of the right of the war goats on. <laughs> uh, no, it is not. For those who don't know, the theme song to this show is actually called <laughs> "Ride of the War Goats." <laughs> war goats. Plural. Yes. Nope. Yes. Yes. I mean, it was yeah the animal <laughs> that was yes, a plural or something. <laughs> yeah. The the good. What's the name of your album, Matt? It's called Kinesthesia. Spell we'll, that. Yeah, we'll put a <laughs> link to that on the blog. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got one of those AEs that are big mashed together to be know. one letter. So, yeah. so your plan um, was to make something that no one yeah. can search for in iTunes, and therefore you will make. <laughs> search for thought form. Thought yeah. form's easy enough to find. It's not on iTunes. It's on Bandcamp. Well, we, we will link to that in the show notes. And Max, where can people follow you if they want to just see you talk more about stuff? What? Talk about stuff? Damn it. <laughs> I just, that was actually good audio. <laughs> fuck you. Where can they follow you if they want to see your announcements and whatever the fuck you want to do? <laughs> Instagram is good. Uh, thought form Max on Instagram. <laughs> I'm also on Facebook and thoughtformusic.com. <laughs> and see, this is why I make fun of him at the end of every show. <laughs> you can follow our show at Vox Popcast on Twitter. You can follow the blog, www.voxpopcast.com. You can follow me at Chris Maverick on Twitter and my blog, chrismaverick.com. Wayne, if people want to read your exciting tweets, where do they go? Um, there are no exciting <laughs> tweets from me. Uh, <laughs> Wayne underscore, at Wayne underscore wise on Twitter. Uh, if you follow me, you will see me retweeting Vox Popcast <laughs> tweets whenever I think about it. Uh, so, um, if you happen to be anywhere near South Park Library tomorrow, I'm actually doing a presentation mm. on Bowie. Um, tomorrow at 7 and therefore so, four uh, days in people's past. So, yeah, which Aww. which will be which will be yeah which will be last week. Anything yeah, in the future? Here, so. so never never mind. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I may end up doing it again someplace. So thank you. Oh, and and if you are enjoying the show, please like subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher. I don't know wherever else our podcast is. You know wherever podcasts are found. I found out recently that we're on Plex Media Server, which is exciting. Um, but subscribe to us. Leave us reviews. Reviews help people find the show. I'd like to thank our guests and one, all of our guests one more time. And I'd like to thank you for listening. And we will see you all next week. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Due out this week, singing on top of the pop, shiny, shiny, AC Fantasy! <laughs>